Welcome to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast for fans who aren't ready to let go and newcomers to the series who are ready to jump in. I'm Marie Vigourou. And I'm Drew Schulman. In this episode, we're diving into Supernatural Season 1, Episode 21, Salvation. Let's get this show on the road. penultimate episode of the season of the first season what did you think i first of all love the episode great just seeing john work a little bit like having that kind of solo john was so much fun i was like cheering for him like i forget how much of a bad parent he is for a moment and how just a good hunter he is i think i had a point where i sort of was like every time like the scene ended i was like oh it's gonna be a cliffhanger oh it's gonna be a cliffhanger i kept waiting for the cliffhanger Which ultimately we obviously get, but I just like kept waiting for it. Like, oh, it's going to stop right here. (laughs) It's going to be done now. This is what happens to media literate people. Like they just start expecting things and they're like, okay, (laughs) we're going to get a cliffhanger. Oh, not now. Okay, next one. Next scene. We're going to get it next scene. (laughs) Are we ready for a weekly recap? I think two minutes should do. All right, let's do this. (laughs) Three, two, one, go. We finally have the brothers teaming up with John to go after the thing, the big demon. This is like our first real big, like, they're all together in this moment. Oh my god, amazing. We start learning that John's been tracking it. He has some information about it. They think they know where it's going to strike next. Um, they start doing their research. Sam luckily has a vision again because that actually makes sense based on all this. I'd forgotten it was going to happen. And they've now isolated where the demon's going to be, and it's going to be tonight, and they finally have the cult, and they can stop it. And then, of course, we also have to deal with the fact that Meg is here, introducing us to all of John's past friends, who get about 13 seconds to live slash airtime. Meg calls, they're all like, oh my god, you're alive, bring the cult to me tonight by midnight. John goes alone, but takes a fake cult, so the boys can take the, the real cult and go after the demon. John obviously gets a trap, but they figure out it's a fake cult, and they try to kill him, but he's, like, ready for them. And then the boys, they go after the demon that killed their mother, and they do end up saving the family, but the demon gets away, and John gets captured, and we are left on a cliffhanger with so much tension. Time. 35 seconds left. You did amazing. Congrats. It's like two different stories at once. It's hard to do. (laughs) I know. And we're so not used to this, right? Because usually Mm -hmm. we've been used to the boys being together all the time. We're being, we're really used to like an A storyline and that's it. Like, but here we had like an A and B storyline for like one of the first times this season. And it felt very confusing. The closest we've gotten to this before was funny enough Meg's introduction and Scarecrow and even then it was really just like two or three quick lines of Sam with Meg and the story was all Dean but here it really was two stories running in parallel with John and the boys. I feel like it was also kind of needed right like we needed that sort of change of pace because the first season is just all the boys all the time that's it and it was kind of nice to break that up a little bit 
even though it felt a little late in the season. We get the official reveal that Meg is a demon. We also find out, we start to get a little bit of like world building around the demons, right? There seems to be like a structure of demonic hierarchy in the sense that a demon that is air quote strong enough or powerful enough can withstand things like hallowed grounds as we see with Meg entering a church and having literally zero effect on her. It's interesting because throughout the seasons they're going to play, like the show is going to play a little bit fast and loose with these so they Mm -hmm. don't always apply um, but they're all they're ever present so like some demons will always be able to enter hollowed ground others holy water doesn't work on them or you know like there's always like a little thing that makes like a big special demon special like you mentioned in your recap we meet pastor jim and caleb who are other hunters so we also get that hint that there are other hunters out there and again like we got that hint from dead man's blood here we're finding out that those people are also linked with John. And we also find out that they die young and that it seems like anybody who associates with the Winchesters tends to die an early and brutal and violent and bloody death. And the goal also, I think, of this is to show how ruthless the demons are. Because if we go back a little bit to Phantom Traveler, where we had our official first introduction to demons, we're starting to see that the lore changes here a bit, right? And this, what we're starting to see about demons now is much closer to what we'll see for the rest of the series. So now I have like a few Easter eggs for people who know a little bit more of what happens, especially in the later seasons, particularly in season 15. (laughs) Yes, I see the note and I'm just like, Okay. (laughs) I just want to note, and I'm hoping that somebody who either has more time or more willingness to actually start thinking about this. I don't really like thinking about season 15, but John has throwing stars in his like basket of weapons. And the only other time that we hear about throwing stars is in the final episode of the series. And I was just wondering if there was something to read into that. So throwing it out there for somebody to think about. I now need to know. (laughs) In six years, my dear, in six years. And then finally, for the long game, near the end, we have Sam who tells Dean that they could say that there's a gas leak, and Dean then asks him how many times that's actually worked for them, and that's very interesting foreshadowing to the first couple of episodes of season 15. So with all that said, and our recap and our long game ready to go, shall we jump into story time? Okay, so for this episode, let's again start at the top and then move down a little bit because there's just so much that happens. This is a very heavy story time episode for us. The first time we really get the family together in a functional sense, up until now it's been small interactions. There's also like this really high stakes situation, right? They're not just hunting vampires. They are out there looking for the thing that killed their mom and looking for the thing that killed Jess. Emotions are sky high for everyone and everyone has to sort of deal with it in their own way. So it's interesting Mm -hmm. to see how the three of them react to this. At the very beginning, we have John and the boys who are talking about the demon's trail and Sam says that Mary died because of him. And immediately we have Dean who intervenes and tells him it's not his fault. And Sam says, well, it's my problem. And Dean replies, it's our problem. And so again, we have like this parenting that should be done by John, who's right there 
in this case. He's right there. But even when he's there, it's Dean who's the one to parent Sam. And the dynamic seems to like upset or surprise absolutely no one in the room. It's just like normal for them, which I found very strange. And I want to hear your thoughts about. And eventually John does stop the argument, but he doesn't try to parent either of them. He's just like, okay, let's move on. Dean is addressing the emotions in the situation. John is addressing the situation. If we move a little bit further down in the episode, there's this moment where Sam tells John about his visions. So like that's new information for John. Let's look at what actually happens in that moment. So they tell John about the visions. And what does John do? He lashes out at Dean. Mm Mm-hmm. For having not told him. For having not told him. And let's remember also in Dead Man's Blood what he does when he's upset. Boom, he lashes out at Dean. And right there, same thing, lashes out at Dean. Because he knows that Dean can take it, unfortunately. Because that's the dynamic. Uh, I know, I know, I, I, that upsets I me I know. But that's, that's the, you know, older sibling will do the emotions work. But this time, which is really interesting, is that we see Dean pushing back. And he does bring up that John didn't even answer their calls when Dean was dying. It's one of those, I can't even think of a good example of it, but it's that moment where you're just like, here's what you should have done. And then being immediately turned and being like, no, 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 because we tried that and it clearly didn't work. And John realizes, he like, there's almost a moment of like levity, a bit of comedy almost when John realizes like, yeah, I've been hard to reach. Like, it's a joke to him almost. And it's like... And I resented that so much, that moment. Like, that moment hit hard Like for me personally, when I watched it, it was just like instant rage inside. He expects like the perks of being a parent, which is the trust, but he doesn't, he refuses to actually act upon the responsibilities, which is the actual parenting. Okay. So if I'm putting down my cards on the table, like I fully understand that John is completely traumatized and that Mm -hmm. he is dealing with things that are not allowing him to parent at his best, to say the freaking least. Yeah. I find it so hard to find grace for him in my heart. It's really challenging. And that's why I tend to be very hard on him because I understand from personal experience what it's like to be on the other side of that and to be parentified and etc. At the beginning of this episode, I kind of was a little bit of a cheerleader for John and just his hunting style and his like solo adventure. Because from a very action-oriented standpoint, he is a fun character to watch in those scenarios. And I would love to see the John Winchester hunting show to know what he has done, what he puts these boys through, and the way he treats them, the way he expects them to act. It just, it puts a sour taste in your mouth. It's not to draw a comparison to anyone specific, but I'm sure everyone knows what I'm thinking of. It's like finding out that someone you really admire is just a terrible person. And I'm sure, especially in this day and age, so many of us can think of many celebrities in that unfortunate reality. But in this case, it's their parent. Later in the episode, we have Meg coercing John into bringing her the cult. Uh, You know, she says she's going to kill everyone that John has ever loved. And this sort of reinforces the idea that it's dangerous for the brothers to have any kind of emotional attachments. As a side note, this is ridiculously important for a few seasons later, when we find out that John has at least one emotional attachment outside of 
the boys. And so for him to hear Meg say that must have been absolutely terrifying. Okay, because in my mind, like I'm thinking of like, you know, obviously Missouri and I'm sure there's other hunters he's worked with that he's been close to. I never really thought if there was anyone in the same level of affection as the boys to John that would matter. Let's put a pin in that for now. Now, to close off that part of the episode, we finally have one last moment where John is kind of like pleading with the boys about like what he would like them to do next. And he says the phrase, I want you, talking about Sam, to go to school. I want Dean to have a home. Can we unpack this together? Because going to school is obviously like a very specific thing that Sam has always wanted and has Mm -hmm. been very vocal about, but we've never heard Dean talk about having a home. So is that like a deep secret that Dean keeps inside of him that only his dad knows? But how would John know about this if Dean and John don't talk about their secret wants and needs. So I don't know. Like, do you have any thoughts about that? So I think we've discussed before what we kind of want, what what we kind of envision the two of them wanting at the end of all this. Uh, Mm -hmm. I think we spoke about it a few episodes ago, a few times even. And ultimately for Sam, it's to go back to a normal life. Mm -hmm. And for Dean, it's to finish this chapter so he can continue doing what he's doing, but a little more safely. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't really see that line unless I miss him to really be what Dean wants, but more what John wants for Dean. I think okay, there's a part of John that sees like, I think this is kind of him breaking down and saying like, yes, even though we thought about you going to school or, you know, I didn't approve of it at the time because it wasn't safe. I know you're a smart kid. I know you want to go to school. I want you to have those things, but I can't let you do that until I know you're safe. Hmm. So if we then take that same logic and apply it to the, Dean and having a home, I think it's just that he wants Dean to be to be able to settle mm, down somewhere, okay. to not have to constantly be on the road, on the run, on the hunt. Hearing you talk, it sort of like brings up some stuff for me. I think I've told you before that Sam and John are very similar and that Dean and Mary are very similar. I think that John sees this in Dean. He sees his wife in their character, in their behavior. He must see it, right? And I think that one of Mary's wants at one point and and needs was a stable emotional, like an emotional home, emotional stability that she wasn't getting and that she thought she had found in John. I don't want to comment too much on that because I have now so many thoughts, but knowing that Dean is very much like his mom, perhaps that's what John thinks that Dean wants because he knows that that's what Mary wanted at his age. That's so interesting. And again, as we learn more about Mary, I'm really, I have to remind myself to kind of look at her through the lens of she is more like Dean. And I'm very intrigued to see what that helps us decipher of the two of them. All right, now let's move on to the part where they're Again, outside, near their cars, uh, talking about how to go about this. You know, John has just gotten, like, the fake cult, and uh, and he's, like, giving his speech to the boys. And he says, like, I've waited a long time for this fight. Now it's here, and I'm not going to be in it. It's up to you boys now. It's your fight. You finish this. You finish what I started. You understand? And I wanted to say those words because we've talked in previous episodes about how Dean at the moment only has faith in John, or at least in what John has taught him. We've seen this in home when he makes that heartbreaking phone call, uh, which we read as a prayer. We see it count- in countless other episodes when he uses Johnisms in order to get by. But when Dean looks, nay, 
stares back at John in that moment. I don't know about you, but I started to see that faith fade. I think that Dean is starting to wonder if this is really worth it. When we've talked a lot throughout the season about is revenge really worth it? And I think that Dean is starting to wonder this. Is killing this demon worth losing his father over? And on the other hand, you have Sam, who's... This is one of the first times that we see Sam so incredibly emotional, like, throughout the episode, right? Like, Mm -hmm. and I think we really do need to mention that. So he's got tears in his eyes at this moment, and he nods his head yes, And Dean is shut down. He's not responding. He's not expressing any emotion at the moment. I have so much to say. So first, that is not the direction I saw that scene going. But now that you've said it and I've lined up other thoughts I have, including things I want to bring up later in the same segment, I think your read is better. But my read on that initially was that Dean is becoming disillusioned with John and seeing him more as an equal and less as a parental figure. Yeah, yeah. I No, I agree. I, I absolutely agree. But I think you're right. I think there's a part of this and it plays into some of the very specific wording. In fact, one exact moment in that conversation, you finish what I started. Yes. We already discussed how Sam and John kind of share this chosen one complex, Mm -hmm. that they are the center of the story. Yeah. You know, this is his fight to start with Sam. You know, we're going to get to in a minute. It was his fight to end. He could have gone back to finish it. He could have risked his life or given up his life if it meant saving everybody which is very hero complex and very chosen one, unfortunately. And I think that is what Dean is now seeing. He is seeing that level of, this is not your fight. This is something we're doing to protect people, but you're making it about you. Let's go back to that voicemail that we got a couple of weeks ago about Dean's like emotional reserves and lack of personal boundaries. And I think that this is what we're seeing at play here. Like you said, Dean is saying like, we're doing this to save people. So his love basically is for the the world at large. Like he wants to save Mm -hmm. other people. He wants to save his dad. He wants to save people, the savior complex, right? Because his life, quote unquote, doesn't matter to him because he is unworthy. And yet we have John on on the other end of that spectrum who like you said, is making this entirely about himself. I feel like we touched on this slightly in Scarecrow with the idea of sacrifice. Yes. In this case, twisting it a bit, but the idea essentially of ultimately the action the person is taking is a good action. If John or Sam does kill this demon, from what we understand, ultimately less people die, people are safe, the world's a better place. It's a good task. Mm-hmm. But their reason to do so is fueled by greed. Mm-hmm. Whereas Dean sees this as, yeah, it's revenge, but I'm doing this to save more people. You know, for him, the revenge is secondary. I would even argue that maybe Dean is thinking like, I don't know if I really want to go after this thing because I I would rather save you guys. He doesn't let Sam run back in to go after it. Exactly. Which is, I mean, a very blatantly smart thing to do. No, I'm not going to let my idiot brother run into a literal burning building to maybe shoot a demon That's a sentence I never thought I would say out loud in my life, but... (laughs) Supernatural does this to you. It does. But I think Dean would ultimately rather continue following it and saving people, and when the opportunity to end it arose, end it, whereas Sam would rather do whatever it takes to get rid of it. And this segues really beautifully into my next point here, because when they're staking out the house, Mm -hmm. Sam starts to thank Dean, you know, quote-unquote, for everything. Yeah. 
And we're made to understand that this is one of the first times, if not the first time that this happens. And this is from Dean's reaction. So Sam is starting to see and acknowledge Dean's constant presence in his life. Now, of course, Sam is saying it in case something happens to either of them, mm-hmm. and that gets Dean pretty upset. And notice, again, Dean didn't get mad when he said goodbye to his dad. Maybe for the last time, we don't know yet, right, if they're going to see each other again. But he got mad when Sam tried to say goodbye. It's a weird argument to make, but I kind of see it. Is saying a final goodbye just in case is a pessimistic view. It's going into a scenario going, there is a chance I won't make it out and I am comfortable with that. Whereas when John goes into his thing and says goodbye to the boys, it's an emotional, heartfelt moment, but it never has a moment of like, I'm never going to see you again. This is a final goodbye. Just in case I don't come back, here's the will. It really is just a goodbye with a bit of a heavy heart over it because it's a dangerous scenario, but it almost seems more optimistic. Like, yeah, I'll get through this. I'm John. I always do. But I'm wondering if it has to do with, again, Dean acting more as a parent to Sam and that it's much harder or much more unimaginable to say goodbye to a child than it is to say goodbye to a parent. And, you know, I'm not saying that it's easy or anything to say goodbye to a parent, but clearly from what we're seeing from Dean in this particular case, it's much harder for Dean to imagine saying goodbye to Sam, who he has raised, like, you know, quote unquote, like a parent versus saying goodbye to John who is his parent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's something you hear a lot is the idea of a parent outliving a child is just so difficult. Mm. And that's really the scenario Dean is in. If something were to happen to Sam, even though yeah. it's only a parent by proxy, mm-hmm. it still has that same impact. I think so. Do you feel like Dean is starting to feel hopeful about his future? I'm really unsure how to answer this. I sort of read Dean as never really looking too far forward because he's to even just go back to a comment you actually made on our TikTok account, the the black coffee hypothesis. No, it's a great hypothesis is that he's someone who doesn't want to have to think about the future. He lives in the now. And even now we're kind of seeing this whole understanding that revenge isn't everything read we're kind of getting off of him that the past and the future don't matter as much as the present. So is he hopeful for the future? He's hopeful that right now will be fine, leading to a better tomorrow, but he's not really planning ahead as much. Just So one of the things that I really want to keep track of as we do this journey through Supernatural is, and I've talked about this before, but it's where Dean places his faith. And we're, we're seeing that shift right now because we were saying that Dean had faith in John or at the very least in what John has taught him in the Johnisms. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's like there's a lack of that in this episode that I had never really noticed before. And so that's why I'm wondering, like, where is his faith in this moment? I think this is less of a where is his faith? It's his faith is still in what John represents, but it's now faltering, which opens up the door to him to eventually experience other things that might gravitate to him better. So we're starting to see Dean Winchester doubting his faith right now. I mean, like, to just put an example, I myself have been raised Jewish in a Jewish household, never extremely devout, never extremely, like, I came from a family that, like, air quote, kept kosher. You know, we still ate bacon, but you wouldn't have bacon and milk in the same meal because that was weird. But then a cheeseburger was still fine. Anyways, it was, the ideals were taught 
the idea of a Torah and a God and a, all that stuff. With time and with education and my own personal views, it wasn't like I abruptly one day went, no, what? No, no more religion. It was the, I began to question religion. I began mm. to look at other religions. I formed my own opinions. This is Dean doing the same thing. He's getting to the point now where he's going, well, are there other options? Could John be wrong? I love this. So he's torn between the world as his father has taught him to look at it and the world as he has learned to see it, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Very cool queer coding moment for Dean. Love it. Now, if we can just finish off uh, story time with this here. We have, like you said, the big reveal where Dean tells Sam that he's barely holding on and that without Sam and John, dot, 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 ominous ellipsis. This is Dean finally cracking down. We've had Dean, he jokes about everything. He's never, he never lets a serious moment linger if he doesn't have to. And this is him really just saying, listen, you know, we've done all of this to make sure you were okay. We've, I've always looked out for you and your feelings. This is what I have, and that is you and dad, and that's all I have. And I just find it interesting because just a moment ago, you know, like we have Sam who's thanking Dean for everything. And then now we have Dean telling Sam that he is everything. And it's just like such a beautiful, beautiful moment for the both of them, I think. And it makes me sad that Sam doesn't respond to Dean in that moment. So I guess what we can read into this is that Dean has never asked Sam before to help him deal with his emotions and that they do not have an equal relationship. Sam retreats from Dean almost. You would expect Sam to maybe step it up finally, meet him even halfway and at least try. But no, he just, like he's done in the past, he just dismisses it. You know, Sam feels fine to blurt out his emotions and have Dean carry them. But as soon as... Dean says, hey, I have feelings too. Sam just goes, oh, um, books. Let's call dad. Yeah. Case. Let's work. Who's just as good. I mean, at the end of the day, we're seeing also, we're seeing again, that kind of, like, what has been modeled by John for Sam. Sam and John have a lot in common. Sam and John have a lot in common, yeah. Shall we move on to critical time? We shall. So, critical time, I think we both agreed there wasn't much to bring up. I'm just going to take the time to really say it's a great episode. It's done very well. I love seeing John work. Yeah. Just sort of seeing the way his mind works, the way he kind of preemptively went in and set things up to protect himself. Mm-hmm. Like, he was already a few steps ahead. I mean, ultimately, it doesn't work out. Yeah. But I love seeing that level of storytelling. It, it builds as great texture of just how long he's been at this game how many tricks he has up his sleeve well i think what this tells us is that you know we talk a lot about john as um as being very authoritarian and needing to be right and Mm -hmm. uh you know like directing the boys in very specific ways but what we're finding out through that storytelling that you're talking about is that there's a reason that John is doing this. And John is really good at his job. It's interesting because something that you find out is that unfortunately in a lot of the hunters that we meet, like there's a clear correlation, an inverse correlation between like how good a hunter you are and how good a parent you are. Oh no. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not for everybody and it's not all the time, but unfortunately that is a, like almost a trope that comes back as if like somebody who hunts and who is very passionate about hunting and and their their job in this case or the job as they refer to just doesn't have it in them to parent and 
I mean, we'll see some exceptions, which are really interesting to look at. At the end of the day, it kind of makes sense. I feel like it's a trope in movies even. Like, look at some great examples like the film Click. You have to find a balance, and if you devote your entire life to being the world's greatest hunter, you are devoting all of your life. You are going to let certain things like parenting lay by the wayside, unfortunately. Something else I need to bring up. I need to know if this was just a thing in this episode or if there's more to it because I'm intrigued. Okay, I'm listening. What's with the clowns? I understand focusing on the clowns for the sake of, like, we need some imagery that Sam can recognize to make sure he's in the right room. There is just a lot of clowns going on in that episode. They focus on it a lot in his flat, in his uh, little, like, headaches, visions. But, like, it doesn't really pay anything off. It's interesting because I noticed that, too. And the reason I noticed it is because we find out in season two that Sam is incredibly afraid of clowns. To bring it back to the episode and what the intent like the creative intent was, I really think that it was just to create like that creepy moment. I think so too. I think that was, that was sort so going into this, I kind of had two thoughts and either one was going to be, it's just that it's taking something so innocent and making it creepy because that's a great storytelling and filmmaking uh, trick. Or, there's going to be some sort of a weird clown-like link to the demon. The only thing that I can see is that Sam is afraid of clowns, but, you know, this isn't talked about in the episode. Like, I don't think that this was the goal, but it's just interesting how it worked out that way. Again, if we were to look at this as, like, a sacred reading, we could say, like, you know, this is foreshadowing for for Sam's fear of clowns and everything, and, and that's fine. But in critical time, like, I don't think... Like, again, this is one of those things that I don't think was planned. It was just like, oh... Clowns are creepy. Let's put clowns. (laughs) Okay. I mean, it worked. So the last thing in real time I bring up then is, and I'm hoping maybe you can help me with this, is a math problem. Oh. Okay. The number of bullets for the Colt. Oh, no. Okay, go ahead. (laughs) I this Just going off, I did some research. Okay. So we are told when John is telling us in um, Dead Man's Blood about the Colt, he specifies there were 13 bullets made. Yep. And a half dozen were used by the original Hunter, and we literally get that scene in the episode where you see 13 standing bullets, and it goes down to seven. Yep. So we are led to believe there are seven bullets. Yep. We then are told in this episode there are four left. So obviously, of those seven, one of them was used in the episode on the vampire. Yes. So we're at six. And then between no, wait, then six, and now... What? Okay, so you were at six. Yes, okay. Yeah, so at the end of Dead Man's Blood, we are at six bullets. And then in this episode, John makes it very clear there are only four left. And obviously, yes, of those four, one is then fired and we're missing two bullets. Yeah, but keep in mind that the cult went from like the original owner, like the creator, to other mm-hmm. people, right? So my understanding was always that it had been used in that time. So this kind of is where I was getting at with this is... Yeah. Are we going to then use this? Like, is it sort of just a, like, I don't, I never would have assumed it was a flub. Like, I think they're smart enough to look back one episode script and do math. Do we ever find out what those two bullets were used on? Is no. that relevant? Or is it really just the idea of time has gone on, here's what's left? What's really important in this moment is to remember that there are four left. Well, three. Three. Yes. Yes. There and, you go. Three left. Four, someone, someone, um, takes a little too long to pull the trigger yeah so there are three left and basically like that is very important because in the next like couple of episodes we need to know we need to really keep in mind how many there are Mm -hmm. are left 
we have another lovely tweet from a follower and listener this week that we'd like to share with you and then discuss. At Nelson's My Name says, Listen to your newest episode, and now thinking hard about how stories take on a life of their own. Now I can't stop thinking about how that could apply to the boys and their understanding of their mother. Okay, so first of all, let's put that into context. We received this message right after the Tulpa episode, so Hell House. Mm -hmm. And so we were talking about how certain things take on a life of their own, right? I mean, do you have any thoughts when you first read this comment? I mean, at first, at first, it's just thinking about how much do they really know about their mother? I mean, obviously losing your mother at such a young age, all you have is mm-hmm. stories. Like Sam literally has zero memory. Dean was four. Yep, four. So he has very minimal memories of her. And I will honestly, from experience, probably say probably more positive memories, just remembering mm-hmm. the good times. Yeah. At the same time, I've also been led to believe that there's more to Mary than meets the eye and maybe in a darker tone. I would assume this paints her in such an angelic light by comparison. I mean, you think about the idyllic life they had with this angelic almost mother mm-hmm. to now living this life of hunting demons and everything's the worst and mom is gone and darkness and despair they're stuck living in at this young age. Mm-hmm. That looking back at mom wouldn't just be she was so great is that life was so great when she was here. Thus, she was even better. Yes. I love that you call Mary angelic. So let's put aside for a second the fact that the the nightgown was, you know, a pale pink. And let's remember. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. This will bug me forever. But so (laughs) let's remember her in her pale nightgown, her blonde hair, her like, I want to say her blue eyes, her bluish greenish eyes. Like she is painted, like you said, as an angel. Mm -hmm. She dies trying to protect her child from an intruder. And so what you're hearing growing up as Sam and Dean is basically like those amazing stories. Because when you when you live with someone, it's much harder to avoid their flaws or to forget about their flaws. But when somebody has passed away, all you remember are the good times with them. And especially mm-hmm. when they are taken from you in such a horrible, brutal, and unexpected way you want to remember the good times. And so what we're seeing is John basically romanticizing her. Like you said, even though there were probably, they, I mean, they were married, they had kids, they had problems. I can't imagine that they didn't, right? I'm sure they fought. And yet like the way that the boys think about their mom is like perfection because that's all they've ever heard. Mm -hmm. And so those stories basically create an image in their mind of this woman who was their perfect mother. And then eventually when they start finding out more about her, what a fall from greatness because Mary was just a regular person. She had flaws. Oh, I'm not ready. Yeah. I'm not ready for that. I'm so like... I know there's more to her. I know there's deeper, darker Mary secrets in the past. I mean, I still see Mary the way the boys see Mm. Mary. She, to me, is still this angelic, perfect mom who was taken away too too soon. And even the one time we get her back in spirit form is to save them again and be their guardian angel. It's, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's, that's what we're hearing from our listener. It's the fact that that these stories have taken on a life of their own as like the boy's image of their mother. 
that tulpa. Mm-hmm. And eventually they find out that that was not their mom. Their mom was a very regular person who would have probably driven them crazy growing up had she been around, particularly Dean. Um <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a great point. Thank you for sending it in. Thank you for getting us on this topic. It's a thinker, but it just has me worried <laughs> now. But you're right. It really is. It's just, it's the, it's the littlest things in this world you don't really take, you take for granted. Mm-hmm. You don't think about the way that other characters live in this world that we are only exactly. observing. And there's one last thing that I want to say about this. It's the fact that like, is very difficult to negotiate a relationship with somebody that you idolize. And so when that needs to happen, when the boys find themselves in a situation where they need to negotiate a relationship with their mother, it becomes almost impossible to do that without some serious clashes, in part, to be fair, in part because of the way that they have thought of her for their entire lives. Thank you so much, Nell, for bringing this up to us and allowing us to have this discussion. Yes, thank you so much. Are we ready for our Crossroads deal? Would you like to get us started? Yes, sure. I'll get us started. And again, I will say that I found Sam's emotional reaction to be lacking. I really wish that Sam had been able to act with Dean more like an equal than like a child would act towards a parent, especially. So when Dean says, you know, like, you, you're, my, you're my everything, like, I really wish that Sam had been able to say, like, well, you know that maybe that's not super healthy or like, thank you. Or, you know, anything, anything to acknowledge that. Yeah. But he just doesn't. <laughs> and, you know, like you said, I really liked what you said about Dean starting to see John as an equal. And I sort of wish that Sam had been able to see Dean as an equal in that moment, but he really wasn't able to do that. And he still saw him as a parent. And I think that that's, to a certain degree at this point, starting to be unfair to Dean because they're, one could argue that they are grown-up adults at this point. Mm-hmm. Like you said, perhaps it's time for Sam to step up a little bit and realize or, or take stock of the emotional relationships that he has with his family and sort of evaluate those and see if they work for him or not. But he doesn't. What would I give up? I almost wish we didn't get Sam like wanting to go back into the fire at the end because again it's inflicting and it's reawakening trauma in Dean. Dean already had to pull like to to carry Sam out of a burning house when they were little. He doesn't want to have to do it again and yet in that moment he's sort of having to stop his like you said idiot little brother from going back into that house that's on fire. Interestingly I have a very antithetical oh my god yes yes bring it on bring it on so we're yours to see sam gain more emotional maturity and give up sam's kind of explosive tantrum minus to see dean step up and speak out more okay i feel like there were so many times when dean is sort of just passive uh as we discuss when they're saying bye to john at the at his truck and handing over the fake colt He's sort of just this dead stare of like, I don't know what to do. I would have loved to have Dean said, almost the way Sam goes, just in case, to have Dean not in the same, like, just in case I don't see you again, but just, no, before you go, I need you to know this. I need to speak my mind. 
I need you two to know what you mean to me, and I need you to know that you better be coming back. Like, almost turning into a bit of a pep talk. As much as I wish that he could have said that, I also understand the absolute impossibility of it. And, and let me just, and I'm not saying that your deal is not good at all. Like, that's not, that's really not where I'm going with that. I'm, I guess I'm just trying to explain what I think is happening with Dean in that moment, where he's like, let's think back to this idea of Dean being bisexual and hiding this from John and being closeted because he assumes, probably rightly, or probably he, or maybe he knows for sure that John would disapprove of that part of him. Mm-hmm. Do you think, if John had any inkling of that, how do you think that he would react to Dean expressing those feelings? I mean, I think we both know John would lash out because that's what John does when things get serious. Because of that answer, I think that Dean is actually protecting himself from John's lashing out, from hearing some kind of perhaps homophobic slur or... Another thing that, you know, is absolutely not his fault or, yeah. So I think that this is self-preservation more than lack of courage. That's how I'm reading it. But I I also wish that he was able to do this. So I think that's it. I think with the Crossroads deal, I always sort of look at it as the, like, magic wand of I can do anything. And <laughs> it's, it's the same world of I wish Dean could come out and say what he is, who he is, and where he stands in life. And this would just be a small example of that. Like, just start the standing up for himself. Take a small step to start with. The reality, yes, that's probably what would happen with John. TV land writing, it might be a great moment of strength and development for the character. Mm -hmm. But you're probably right. But at the same time, like, even when Sam blows up at him, I would have loved to have had him, like, as much as he does, step it up and admit what he feels then, I think I just needed more of that. I just, we get so much bubbling emotion from Sam that Dean until the end seems so numb by comparison. Yeah. I, I, and I see that. Absolutely. So what would you, what would you give up? I mean, (laughs) I'll take the easy answer here. I would give up some of the excessive time we get with John on his hunt as much as I loved it. And I would love to continue seeing John fight on his own. It really felt like filler. Mm. I mean, how much can we watch John climb a really rickety ladder and then say a prayer? <laughs> like, that took up a significant amount of time. <laughs> like, at the end of the day, I, I understand it's part of the deal is losing something, in this case, good, which was really good, you know, like, world building. Mm-hmm. But... I think we know how good John is. Yes. I think, you know, having him surprise them with the holy water and have them go like, how? And him being like, I've got more tricks up my sleeve than you know. You know, I'm not as old as you think I am. Just having a witty quip would have accomplished the same thing that like eight minutes of sneaking around an abandoned, you know, (laughs) steam factory for some reason in the middle of nowhere would have accomplished. For some reason, the only thing I can think about right now is The Office <laughs> when Dwight and Michael go around. <laughs> Parkour! <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm just going to edit that scene of him climbing the ladder with that audio. <laughs> Parkour! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, you know what? I like your Crossroads deal. I think it would have definitely made it for a very interesting episode. Yeah, and as much as even I know what you're, we're right, it's we're we're wishing, you know. Sometimes wishes have consequences. Sometimes yeah. they just they're great. They they feel good in that moment, but in the long run, maybe there was a better way to take it. 
careful what you wish for kind of thing, right? Exactly. I just really want to see Dean get what he deserves, and that is respect and love. Oh, Drew. (sighs) Yes. Okay. You've been listening to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast produced by Rochelle Castellano, hosted by Mehi Vigurou, and myself, Drew Shulman. This week, we'd like to thank at Nelson's My Name for her tweet. Help us keep the conversation going. You can send us a voice recording at carryingwayward at gmail.com and follow us and interact with us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok using at carryingwayward. Subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcasts for weekly content, including special episodes. Until next week. Carry on, our wayward friends.